0: So today is the 23rd of October, 2021, it's a Saturday. And we come to gather together at this time. And tomorrow is the Katina ceremony. And this uh, Katina, which happens at monasteries around the world has a very important meaning, which is harmony and we see that the harmony of the sangha gives rise to happiness. In Pali, we say sukha sangasa and so sukha meaning uh, happiness, and so that harmony of the sangha gives rise to happiness. And this is something of great importance, because when we have harmony already, then whatever we do, will succeed and prosper. And some things that are difficult become easier. And we look to the origin story of the Katina ceremony. There were 30 monks who were uh, anagamis, had realized the third stage of enlightenment, of non-returnership. But they had not yet realized our hantship and they needed to listen to the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha in order to realize full awakening, in order to realize our And they were coming from the city of Pawa and trying to make it to Jetavana Monastery where the Buddha was residing. But we have to recall that in those days, in the time of the Buddha, travel was much more difficult than it is nowadays. So they were in a hurry to reach Jetavana Monastery for the rains retreat, so they could listen to the Dhamma every day. But they didn't make it in time, so they stopped and spent the rains retreat in the town of Saketa. And this is about 80 kilometers from uh, Jetawana Monastery. So we see that it was uh, too difficult too far, given the difficulty of travel in those days. But once the monastic ranger tree was finished and they were able to travel again, then they went to pay their respects to the Lord Buddha. And the Lord Buddha taught these 30 monks and all 30 monks were able to realize arahantship on that occasion. But the Buddha observed their robes and saw that their robes were old and falling apart. And so the Buddha felt loving kindness and sympathy for these 30 monks. And so the Buddha gave an allowance that at the end of the ranger retreat, there can be a katina ceremony that the monks don't have to immediately uh, go travel, but they can have the katina ceremony, which is a way to mark uh, the harmonious living together of the sangha. And at minimum, there needs to be five monks living together in order to have a katina ceremony, and it's something that's not easy to find. It's difficult to find five monks uh, living together for the monastic rains retreat. Something that's not easy to get at all, and it's also not easy to get or to find a Buddha arising in the world. This is something that's very uh, difficult to have arise, to have a fully self-awakened Buddha. And to come teach the Dhamma in the world is something that's extremely difficult to find. Because the Lord Buddha needed to build his spiritual perfections, his parami, over countless lifetimes as a bodhisattva, in order to have his parami be full, in order to realize fully self-awakened Buddhahood. So this arising of a Buddha in the world is incredibly difficult and rare, and it takes countless lifetimes uh, to achieve. And we also see that these 30 monks who traveled to meet the Buddha, they were Dutanga monks. They had uh, extremely high levels of good qualities. And so they were uh, ascetic monks practicing the Dutanga practices, the ascetic practices. And so the lady know about the katina already most likely that it happens once a year. And we see that this uh, katina ceremony and the offering of the katina is something that's important. And there's also something called a chula katina, which is where the lady weave the cloth on the day of the katina, then offer that cloth. And then the monastics uh, sew that cloth into a robe all in that same day. But nowadays the world is more developed and so this is uh, more difficult or rare to find. And some monasteries use a cloth that's already made as well. And in our tradition, in the forest tradition, we make uh, sew the cloth on the same day as the katina ceremony. And we use the jackfruit, wood uh, to boil the jackfruit wood to make a dye uh, for the cloth. So this is a practice of giving and sacrifice on the part of the monks as well. Whatever monk has the duty to prepare the jackfruit uh, liquid to dye the robe, this is an act of uh, giving and sacrifice. And the lay people have given uh, the cloth. And if the monastics ask for the cloth then this cloth is considered not pure, but the cloth has to come on its own as if uh, floating or wafting on the air to the sangha for the sangha to receive. And then the sangha gather together in harmony and designate one monk to receive the katina cloth. And once this ceremony of the katina is properly executed, then one, the monastics can receive the benefits of the katina ceremony. And some of the benefits of the katina ceremony are to go traveling without uh, informing a fellow monk beforehand or storing cloth at the monastery in a safe place and then traveling without one of one's robes. One can uh, eat, have a group meal without it being an offense. These are some examples of the katina benefits. And when one does the katina ceremony, then these benefits extend for an extra three months. But in the Wat Pong tradition, the tradition of Lung Pu Cha, we practice not to receive these benefits, but to decline them and to practice the monastic discipline, the vinaya, the same as the rest of the year. So if one goes traveling, one must tell a senior monk, and one's not allowed to leave any of one's robes behind, because if one, and also one's not allowed to store up too much cloth, because if one stores up cloth, then it becomes hard to care for. And monks can practice just using uh, the triple robe only, living simply in this way. Living simply like this, one can use one's sangati, one's outer robe, and one's g1, uh, one's upper robe as a blanket, not to use other blankets. And this can help one to wake up easily because if one feels uh, too warm and comfortable, then it can be difficult to get out of bed. So this is one way to train oneself. And we can also look at the other Dutanga practices, the other ascetic practices, such as going on alms round every day, going from house to house, eating only alms food, eating only one meal a day, uh, staying at the shelter, or at the foot of a tree as one's shelter, or staying in the open. These are some examples of the 13 ascetic practices that the Buddha allowed for monastics. And so we have this term of uh, Dutanga monk or Kamatana monk. And a kamatana monk is a monk who needs to have a kamatana, a meditation object with them, such as the five parts of the body, the hair of the head, hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, and the skin. And this group of 30 monks that gave rise to the Katina allowance at the time of the Buddha, they were kamatana monks. And when they listened to the Buddha, on that occasion, their minds were able to gather together and they realized full awakening. They had harmony externally and they had harmony in their minds as well. And with their minds harmonious in this way, they're able to understand the Dhamma. And so for ourselves, we practice the Dhamma every day, but we may yet only have a little bit of Dhamma understanding. We can contemplate a cup or a glass and understand that this designation, calling it a glass, is merely a convention, it's just a name. There's a name in English, a name in Thai, a name in Spanish, a name in Portuguese, and so on. So we have to understand this point, that in truth, a glass is not a glass. In Thai, it's called a uh, gale, and in English, it's called a glass. So we understand that these are just names. And when we look more deeply, we see that there's really nothing there. They're just the elements of nature. And so if we know and understand this clearly, then our minds can gather together, the path of virtue, collectedness and wisdom, sila samadhi panya, it gathers together in the mind with harmony. And we can understand clearly is uh, an energy and strength of mind. But a mind without strength and energy uh, lacks wisdom. The mind needs to gather together in order to understand clearly, to see that there's really nothing there at all. So, having been born into this world, whether one's a lay person or a monastic, one must meet with these eight worldly dhammas, these eight worldly winds. And of these eight worldly dhammas, there are the four that we tend to have a liking for and the four that we tend to have a disliking for. We have gain and there's loss. There's praise and there's blame. There's pleasure and pain. There's fame and disrepute. So the Buddha taught that these worldly dhammas arise and we experience them as a matter of course. And so we must contemplate them as impermanent, as uncertain, that they arise and pass away. This is their nature, that they shouldn't be clung to. And we have to understand that in the world that we must receive these eight worldly dhammas. When I was with Lung Pu Cha, he taught the Dhamma that when he received a royal title, that as a monk, he went to practice uh, in caves at the foot of trees and had his heart set on meditation. He wasn't hoping for any uh, praise or fame or any of these worldly Dhammas. But because he practiced well, this give, gave rise to fame and popularity. And therefore the, the king had the faith to offer him a, a royal title. And Luputa said that it's like the rain. The rain's uh, falling everywhere, and you can't stop the rain just with your two hands. And so we understand that this is uh, likened to the parmi. You can't stop the rain just with two hands. And so Lumpucha received this royal title. But Lumpu Chah was above these things. His mind was lokutara, above the world already. Just practicing in caves and at the foot of trees. He had no desire for any kind of title or fame in this way. But if we look at the virtues and qualities of Vangpucha, we see that he was worthy of receiving such a title, which would uh, bring benefit and help him to build even more uh, benefit and goodness. we see that in his heart, he already had, as a great teacher, he already had goodness full in his heart, but it helped him externally Another uh, simile for this is the Mekong River, a large river uh, on the border of Thailand and Laos. The water level rises and the water level falls, but a properly built bridge isn't touched by the water. The bridge stays at the same level. It's not affected by the rising and falling levels of the river. So, we practice to make our minds like this, unaffected by the ebbs and flows of the worldly winds. So, we see that which is important is this Dhamma practice. We practice to make our minds high and lofty with collectedness and wisdom. This is something of great value and importance. And then when the factors of virtue, collectedness and wisdom gather together in the mind, then we're able to see and understand the truth of reality. And then liberation arises, the fruit of liberation arises in the mind. So this is something of great importance to practice and train our minds uh, in bhavana mental cultivation using our meditation object So as meditation monks, as kamatana monks, we have these five body parts as our kamatana, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And if our minds are agitated, then we use our meditation word a lot. We keep the meditation word in our mind. Because we see that which is in our minds already are these five hindrances these five hindrances which obstruct the mind. So we can close our eyes and take a look at our mind. And if we try to order our mind not to think, does our mind uh, follow our order? Does it believe what we're saying? Does it even listen? Because we see that conditioned formations, uh, these sankaras are uh, proliferating in the mind and this can lead to an agitated, uh, chaotic mind, a mind that's not at peace, proliferating based on liking and disliking. The eye sees a form and if there's a liking for that form, then the mind will tend to chase after and want that form, desire that form. The same with sounds, uh, tastes, smells, uh, physical touch and mind objects. And if it's something that we don't want, then we want to run away from it. We want to push that experience away. Or we seek out uh, sleep. Or depression arises in the mind. Or we have doubts about everything. So this is normal for the human mind to experience these various obstructive states, that which obstruct goodness to arise in the mind. So therefore we need to train our minds with our meditation object of Buddha dhammo, sangho. And when we have this meditation object firmly established in our mind, then the five hindrances can arise. Then we give rise to kanaka samadhi, momentary collectedness, and upajara samadhi, uh, neighborhood collectedness. And the mind feels at ease and collected and unified. And when this quality of samadhi is present, then wisdom can arise. So when we're sitting and the mind is at ease in this way, we can contemplate as we're listening to the Dhamma, and even while we're listening we can see the truth of the Dhamma, the truth of nature, we can understand clearly that all phenomena are of the nature to arise and cease. They're all impermanent, stressful, and not-self. So it's possible to see the dhamma in this way, to see clearly. So may you be confident in this dhamma practice. May you put forth effort, really set your hearts on training the mind. Uh, Don't give up, don't back off, and don't retreat, but keep putting in effort. Whatever feelings arise in the heart, contemplate them as impermanent as uncertain and so keep practicing like this this is something of great importance and so tomorrow we have the katina ceremony and this is something that happens every year and we see that this is something that's a convention a samuti this katina has a lot of benefits it's an opportunity for the laity to support the monastic Sangha with the four requisites of robes, uh, food, lodgings, and medicine, and to help uh, construct the uh, buildings of the monastery to help with the uh, maintenance, support, and spreading of the Buddha Sasana, building viharas, building chedis, building, building uposata halls. But once these buildings are already built, the very important point is that we must use these buildings to chant. We can make a building very beautiful, very nice, very nice to be in, and we must use it to chant, to pay homage with our chanting, our chanting puja. For instance, having built a chedi, then we chant the chant in praise of the Buddha relics, starting with atipiso, we say sayhi. Uh, praising the Buddha relics and chanting. So, having built the building, then we have to chant in that building. And just and similarly, we build uh, Buddha statues. And having built the external Buddha, the external monk, then we have to build the Buddha in the heart as well. So we make the statue beautiful. We make it very nice. Uh, and then we have to do chanting as well. And so the lady are the ones who offer these things, and the monastics are the ones who receive them. But the monastics aren't necessarily monastics in their heart yet. They're not yet uh, monks or holy in their hearts. So they have to build the monk in the heart. And building the monk in the heart, this is something that's much more difficult one has to build the noble qualities of patient endurance, virtue, collectedness, mindfulness, and wisdom to make these qualities uh, great and supreme in one's heart. This is something that we're capable of doing, something we, we must do. This is that which is of the most importance, the greatest importance. So when these eight worldly winds uh, arise in one's experience, contemplate them as normal and natural, that living in this world, these are things that we must receive. And when these worldly winds arise, then contemplate them, uh, contemplate them as impermanent and see them arise and cease. When we receive something we like, then we feel pleasure, and when we lose that, then we feel suffering. So may you contemplate all the time that they're impermanent, they're not stable. So may you cultivate mindfulness and wisdom in this way in your Dhamma practice. May you all set your hearts on this practice.